Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all mercy and the God of all consolation, who comforts us in our sorrows so that we can comfort others in their sorrows with the consolation we ourselves have received from God. Let us pray. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, who formed us from the dust of the earth, who by your breath gave us life. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, who suffered death for all humanity, who rose from the grave to open the way to eternal life. Holy Spirit, author and giver of life, the comforter of all who sorrow, our sure confidence and everlasting hope. To you, O blessed Trinity, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. When we were baptized in Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let us pray. God of grace and glory, we remember with gratitude your servant Howard, whom you gave us to know and to love as a companion in our life on earth. Now we pray in your compassion, console us, as our thanksgiving for his life is mingled with sadness at his death. Give us rest and comfort in the promise that death itself gives way to the living Christ, so that we may live in confidence and hope until we too are gathered into the company of all your saints, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Good morning. On behalf of the students, staff, and faculty, I bid you a warm welcome to St. Olaf College, where Howard Hong was a student and later, for many years, a member of the faculty. In our community of teachers and learners, we prize the discovery and dissemination of knowledge and engagement with the world. Howard Hong exemplified our highest ideals and aspirations in each of those endeavors. Together with Edna Hong, Howard made the work of the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard available to the English-speaking world. This was, quite simply, an extraordinary achievement. In the course of that word, Howard Hong both made St. Olaf College an international center for Kierkegaard studies and laid the groundwork for decades of conversation among students and faculty about Kierkegaard's ideas, how they relate to the whole curriculum, and to the whole person. Howard Hong was a storied teacher. Over the course of decades, thousands of students passed through the door into his classroom to be met by vast knowledge, a challenging temperament, and a deep commitment to their learning and to their welfare. Howard Hong's work with prisoners of war and refugees taught us the meaning and importance of moving beyond the borders of our campus to live our ideals and values. The continuing commitment of members of this community to engaging with the world, 
to fostering social justice, and to exploring their faith owes much to the example of Howard Hong. This is a service of thanksgiving. St. Olaf College gives thanks for the life and work of Howard Hong, and we thank each of you for your presence here today. Thank you, Mary Hong Lo and Eric Hong, for entrusting me to speak here to your family and to friends and neighbors of St. Olaf College. What does it mean to be, to become Christian? The movement of the religious, according to Soren Kierkegaard, is not the movement from the simple to the interesting, but from the interesting to the simple, becoming a Christian. What Kierkegaard so compactly suggests is this. To become a Christian is to move toward the simple, that is, the eternal, and away from the interesting, that is, the worldly. It's possible. More often than not, however, what halts such a movement is that the simple is difficult. But then nobody ever said becoming a Christian was going to be easy, which is why the simple aligns itself with the difficult. Melville writes in his famous whale book, In this world, it is not so easy to settle these plain things. I have ever found your plain things the naughtiest of all. And what makes the simple naughty is that it is not very interesting because the only thing that moves a person toward the religious is what Kierkegaard humorously calls elsewhere the boring categories of the good. Here's an example. The essential simplicity of Howard Hong was that he never stopped with the interesting alone, for he knew that the interesting merely grabs your attention, and anything can do that. The interesting, in other words, is incidental and comes at you from the outside and from every imaginable direction every day in this confusing, contradictory, and colorful world. But Howard didn't just want to be grabbed only to be grabbed again by the next interesting thing that crossed his path. He wanted his attention held, for he knew that the only crucial 
and viable thing that could hold the attention of any person until the end of time was not the incidentally interesting that wades in the shallows of our lives, but the essentially simple that descends into the depths of our very beings. And so he began to move, precisely because he had become moved by the simple, which is to say that he not only deliberately chose to become a Christian, he actually began to make the movement of the religious by deliberately choosing it again and again each and every day of his life. He never stopped. It was, on occasion, maddening for some of us to even witness his movements. His tenacious repetition, however, was precisely the kind of movement that was necessary to find meaning in life. For even imagining a meaningless life was a living death to Howard. Repetition, then, and as Kierkegaard suggests, is the very signpost of eternity and thereby the way one moves from the interesting to the simple, becoming a Christian. That said, Howard Hong is the most interesting person I have ever met. For what else do you call a man who chooses to live a simple life while also deliberately marrying and committing to the marriage for nearly 70 years, during which time he also committed to learn Danish, raise eight children, manage a home and two Northwoods cabins, develop and curate a world-class research library, teach thousands of students over the course of more than 40 years, and translate and painstakingly edit, footnote, read, or otherwise have a hand in developing 15,887 pages of a difficult Dane. And that's just the primary tier of his accomplishments. Secondary tier, a sec the secondary tier includes things like reforesting large tracts of, of, of the North Woods, reading voraciously, sniffing out the best cheeses in the Midwest, collecting balls of twine. Can somebody stop me? It's not that he wasn't intimately acquainted with the interesting. In fact, I can't remember a single time when he wasn't responding to the interesting that was always and everywhere swirling around him. Worms crawling out of their underground tombs and onto St. Olaf College campus sidewalks each spring. Look! He would say like Zorba the, D the Greek, it's a miracle. A choice passage near the end of Stephen Vincent Benet's The Devil and Daniel Webster. Look! The dance of light on Lake Superior waters at 5.30 on a July morning. Look! Or, and this stands alone because of his eternally eye-popping and childlike expression whenever he saw her, that forever interesting, forever simple Edna. Look! 
So what is the simple? It's passionate engagement. It's stoic. It's focused. It's saintly. It's plain. It's pure of heart. It's ethical and committed and purposeful and packed full of meaning. It's what Melville calls mute, calm, and eternal mildness of joy that exists amid the tornadoed Atlantic of our being. How do I know all this? Less from thinking abstractly and more from witnessing concretely the plain and simple example. That was Howard's life. Hearing Howard speak and observing him make the movements of the simply boring categories of the good, those movements were never boring when I heard him speak. Why? Because he always sought meaning and helped us to see that meaning is never boring. What does it mean? And then, arms folded. And he, he, he'd look up and, and squeeze the question out of himself. What does it mean to be a human being? What does this word and this word and this word really mean? What are their radical meanings? What are their root meanings? He grabbed you with these apparently impossible questions in such a way that suggested such questions were by no means impossible, but instead simply questions that evoked the possible in us all. And not only that, Howard then held you and continued to hold you until you came to hold yourself. The season of Howard's life that we look back upon and memorialize today always seemed to be the long, simple season of Lent, which ends this very day, just as Socrates whom Kierkegaard always called that simple wise man, just as Socrates knew where his knowledge ended and his ignorance began, so too Howard knew where his understanding ended and where that which passeth all understanding begins. Tomorrow is Palm Sunday. May we turn our heads away from the interesting here and now, and see the simple, eternal carpenter's son make his way into our hearts and minds and souls forever and ever. Amen. reading from Matthew. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. A reading from the letter to the Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our Maker, Redeemer, and Comforter, we are assembled in thy presence to hear thy holy word. We pray thee so to open our hearts by thy Holy Spirit, that through the preaching of thy word, we may be taught to repent of our sins, to believe on Jesus in life and in death, and to grow day by day in grace and holiness. Amen. The Word of God for today is from Psalm 51. A Psalm of King David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will return to thee.
Some years ago, in a conversation about what passages of Scripture ordinary Christians ought to have by heart, Howard Hong placed these verses from the book of Psalms first on his list and then recited them from memory in German. He knew the passage in English, of course, from childhood. It was embedded in a familiar liturgy in an era in which Lutheran liturgies were simple and unchanging so that people could take them deeply in and fix their cadences to the beat of the heart and live on them. But why German? Thereupon, uh, as it so often did with Howard Hong, there hangs a tale. It begins in his days as a student here at St. Olaf, under the strenuous tutelage in German of Professor Paul Ballenbacher, he occasionally visited the Moravian congregation here in town, called by townsfolk the German congregation, to improve his fluency. And there he encountered Psalm 51 in German. And then some years later, while working in Germany after World War II, he attended a confirmation service at the great Lutheran institution of mercy, Bethel by Bielefeld. And in the course of the service, I think I recall that it was the younger Pastor Bodoschwink, but I am not certain of that. The pastor assigned confirmation verses to the confirmants. This passage from Psalm 51 was among them, and Howard Hong then and there adopted it as his own and later committed it to memory in German with uh, the characteristic gleam in his eye ever occasioned by a bargain, he noted of these verses, they were free that day. (laughs) He wished that they be given to us on the occasion of his funeral. And they're free today, too. Now, before we hear them again, Remember that the book of Psalms is unlike any other book in the Bible. The Psalms are surely and certainly God's word, but in the Psalms the usual roles are reversed. We are the speakers, and God is the listener. With that in mind, listen to these verses again. Think, uh, for now, of Howard Hong as the supplicant, of God as the one who hears his prayer, and of yourself as the transgressor in need of teaching. So let's listen again. A prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. 
Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will return to thee. Now, to shape our engagement with this prayer, our listening to it, our offering of it, we shall borrow something from Søren Kierkegaard. From Kierkegaard, Howard Hong learned to consider his life, to reflect and to act as if in three arenas. Kierkegaard called them the aesthetic, the ethical, and the religious. The terms, I think, were not altogether happily chosen, uh, but we do not need to let that trouble us because the notions involved are very simple. Very simple indeed. The arena of the aesthetic is the space in which we enjoy all the things that bring us satisfaction. Each of us will have a different list of what satisfies. All of us will almost certainly have some entries in common. Some of our pleasures will be good for us, and some will not. But however it adds up for all of us, we all want to enjoy and soak up and keep the experiences that satisfy us. And Howard Hong, especially in the company of his beloved wife, Edna, enjoyed life. He lived it with gusto and zest Bigger. He loved to eat and to drink and to make merry with friends old and new. Uh, together they had a remarkable talent for friendship. They were never satisfied with just the old friends, always making new friends. And he had style. Much of his life was deeply concealed from others by a concerted inwardness. But in public, he was a grand thespian. And little pleased him more, very little, than an appreciative audience. Uh, and together, he and Edna were quite simply matchless. Uh, Lunt and Fontaine, uh, Burns and Allen, uh, you name the great couples of the stage, uh, none of them could compare. Things of beauty and charm claimed his affection. Uh, it might be an old Packard hearse painted uh, a really questionable blue uh, plastered with a sticker that said, I'm a tree farmer, or a handsomely worn tool 
bought at an auction, a splendidly growing black walnut tree, or a painting that caught his eye. He relished them all. He liked to make things, and he was deeply attached to the house that he built. He liked to acquire and own things, land and books especially. He was frugal and close with things and very generous at once. And this, of course, begins to hint at the limits of the aesthetic. What shall we do when our pleasures, our satisfactions, contend? What shall we do when we find ourselves grasping at them, when we become addicted to them? What shall we do when these things exhaust themselves and we exhaust ourselves in the search for satisfaction? What shall we do when it dawns on us that all of this is absolutely finite, that it it shall all pass away, that we shall all die. Howard Hong taught that we shall face this directly and honestly and cultivate an awareness that there is more to life than our satisfactions, good or base, as these things may be. Where our satisfactions are good and healthy and liberating, we can enjoy them in easy passing. Where they are confining and killing, we must turn away from them, for they can kill and they can kill for all eternity. To live with this kind of clarity requires a clean heart and a right spirit. Where are we to get such? But while you think about this, recall that there are even greater challenges. Although we can allow ourselves to be defined by them, our privileges and limits in the aesthetic sphere do not exhaust our possibilities as human beings, because within and beyond each of us, there is a summons to attend to our lives as agents of the good. This is the arena of the ethical. And it is here that we meet, I think, so much of the public, Howard Hahn. We meet it most vividly in the marriage of nearly 70 years that he shared with Edna Hattelstedt Hahn. 
Their marriage was founded on a deep and abiding personal love for one another. It was for them a privilege and a joy, but it was also for them an ethical task. It was the living out of a publicly made commitment to pursue life's duties together. Now, no doubt they had their ups and downs. With eight children and a gaggle of students and friends constantly coming and going, they must have had a challenging day or two. But their aim as a whole, consistently, was to strive together for the right and the good in their lives as husband and wife. And their example meant much to many. The same energies drove Howard Hung's more widely visible public work. As a young intellectual, he embraced pacifism. It was a debatable choice then as it would be now, especially for one as well acquainted with Lutheran thought as Howard Hung was. When he was declared physically unfit for military service, he might honorably have remained at his post as a freshly appointed teacher here at St. Olaf. He chose instead to take up demanding work on behalf of prisoners of war and refugees, both in Europe and in the United States. And only when that work was finished did he return to St. Olaf, where he taught for decades. And here, he touched lives. He touched lives deeply and powerfully. Just a few months ago in this chapel, a graduate of the class of 1958 now white about the temples and a distinguished leader in profession, community, and church, as well as a regent of St. Olaf College, reflected on a, in a chapel talk on questions he had pondered since first meeting them in Howard Hong's classroom more than 50 years ago. Examples could be multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It is a remarkable harvest. Now, this would be work enough and more for most of us, uh, but for him it was not. Here, in a small liberal arts institution, Without all the resources that a great university might have provided, he and Edna Hong launched a work of scholarship. All of you know about that. You know about the work of translation that they did together. It brought them and our school deserved renown. Today, Think about another aspect of this. Think about not only the scholarly and intellectual dimensions of this achievement, 
but also of its ethical aspect. This was a fiercely disciplined pursuit of duty. In the most self-effacing form of scholarship, the preparation of texts for others to use. Marriage, service to those battered by war, teaching, scholarship, these were fundamentally ethical matters for Howard Hong. But even here, he met limits. He acknowledged this. He acknowledged failure, the failures that are most easily apprehended. And he knew very well his own versions of the subtler and destructive vices that afflict even the most ethically rigorous. He knew well and deeply that the challenge of the ethical life, finally, is to will the good as God wills it. And he knew that he could not do this. He knew that he did not do this. He often observed on Sunday mornings after worship in our parish church that while we had prayed for important and needful things, the restoration of health to the sick, comfort for the grieving, justice for the oppressed, that we rarely prayed for repentance and amendment of the heart. This troubled him greatly, especially in his last years. It is not at all accidental that the work of Kierkegaard, to which Howard Hong devoted his earliest attention as translator was the very small book for self-examination. It is just at this point, at the point of self-examination and repentance, that we meet the boundary of the ethical and pass into the realm of the religious and finally into the realm of the Christian faith. Howard Hong knew and confessed that we can stay in our sins and die strangled by them, or that we can turn to God for forgiveness and ask for clean hearts and new spirits. This is the great either-or, the great one. And this, finally, is why this prayer from Psalm 51 was the point of departure for Howard Hong's most decisive venture, the venture into the Christian faith. Like his mentor Kierkegaard, 
He pressed it. He pressed it to its extreme. He asked God for a new heart. And he believed that God had answered his prayer through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He believed that God had forgiven him all his sins and that God had ordered him to get back up off of his knees and keep on enjoying life and keep on striving to live rightly. And he did that until he was 97 years old. Even in the last three very difficult years without his beloved Edna, And he knew enough and believed enough, and this is remarkable, to be grateful each day. Howard Hong thought of the Christian life and often spoke of it as a striving born of gratitude for forgiveness. And so it was that each day was for him a venture back into the aesthetic, out into the ethical, all based on the faith that God had answered his prayer and that he would answer it again. Howard Hong believed that this was so. And as called an ordained minister of the Church of Jesus Christ, And by his authority, I declare it to be so. God answered Howard Hong's prayer. He answered it personally, in the person of Jesus Christ, and he will answer yours too when you make it your own. Now, Here's something to learn from Howard Hong. If that seems more than you can manage, perhaps even more than you want, just try it. Live as if it were so. To borrow a simile from Kierkegaard, jump in. The water is fine. It will bear you up. You have Howard Hong out there as an example to cheer you on. Splashing around out there yourself, you may even encourage someone else to jump right in. You have nothing to lose. Nothing but the unwarranted certainty that it's too good to be true. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain, including a place alongside Jesus Christ on the day of resurrection. Thanks be to God for the life, the work, the death, the witness of Howard Hong. 
Amen. Let the church say, Amen. With the whole church, let us confess our faith. I believe in God, Father Almighty. Let us pray. Almighty God, in holy baptism you have knit your chosen people together in one communion of saints in the body of Christ. Give to your whole church in heaven and on earth your light and your peace. God of mercy, give courage and comfort to all who mourn, to Howard's children and their families to his colleagues and companions, we who are gathered here and the many others across the world who will miss him. God of mercy. Wherever in this world children are homeless, wherever the earth cries for care, wherever students seek deeper understanding, stir up people of faith as you stirred Howard to join your good work for the world. God of mercy. We remember also Edna and her love. Hold her in your heart as we hold her in ours. God of mercy. God of all grace, we give you thanks because by his death our Savior Jesus Christ destroyed the power of death, and by his resurrection he opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Make us certain that because he lives we shall live also, and that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come will be able to separate us from your love in Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant Howard, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. We are grateful that you receive him into the arms of your mercy and into the blessed rest of everlasting peace and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor 
and give you peace. Amen. Let us go forth in peace. In the name of Christ. Amen.